When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome, and thank you for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. My name is Zach. I'm here with Laura. Uh, Before we get started today, I want to remind you again that our fall workshop on the Seven Principles program is coming up on October 20th and 21st. There is still time to register. We would love to have you join us. I'm actually really getting excited to teach this thing. The the material is really great. We always have fun with our couples. Um, I do hope that you'll find time to join us, especially if you're just thinking about a way to feel more connected without having to commit an entire, you know, a course of therapy. This is a real quick weekend. We have a lot of fun on Friday night. Uh, Saturday is where we do kind of most of the chunk of the work and then you're out. You have a great date night. Saturday maybe to top it all off. So check that out. You can go to marriagetherapyradio.com. Also, if you haven't yet rolled over to Apple Podcasts and given us a five-star review, please do that. We are slowly and steadily climbing the ladder towards 1,000. And as you know, I believe slow and steady wins the race. But for now, we are talking about what do you do when your partner's in pain? How do you help them out? How do you talk to them? Um, and why don't you? Why don't you reach out and let your partner know what's on your mind? Um, what does it look like to tap into something like empathy? Um, what does it look like to actually get what you want? Um, these are a lot of really intriguing questions that Laura and I are batting around for the next 20, 30 minutes or so. I'm really glad you're here. This is a very cool conversation. Stick around. I feel like my whole desk situation is cluttered. It is a full-on dumpster fire over here. I don't know what's happening. Normally, I'm very tidy and clean. As you know, I keep a tidy home, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I was just just in my backyard, and I looked over in the corner of this one part of my yard, and I was like, that's the trashy corner. The corner we don't show the the guests. Yeah, we have like a nice little garden and a gazebo and a path to my birdhouse, and then it's like right over there is just like all the stuff that we just like yeah. threw over there. It's a trashy corner. So, and you do have to kind of look for it, but I was like, oh yeah, we have, we, I don't have a corner. We're fancy. We're middle-class fancy. And then we have one of those trashy corners in the back. Hey, I did go over, by the way, like construction is happening on my house. It's really happening and they're already framing, okay. which is like way, way beyond where I think we thought we were going to yeah. be. And now part of me is thinking we're not going to, that we might even be there in the house by, by December 25th. We celebrate Christmas. That would be phenomenal. You just, you go ahead and give yourself that permission to think that because it'll make your, it'll make the next month or two really nice. I I like to over, uh, what is it? Underestimate and over deliver, underestimate. So I'm, Mm-hmm. I keep telling myself it's, and I tell other people yeah. it's going to be March when I'm in the house. So if I get in the house any sooner than March, Third that's month. great. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, guess what? What? Hold on. Hold on. Hold it on. Finally happened. Not a blue check. No, no, not a blue check. Um, somebody that you've been stalking on no. Instagram messaged no. you back. It's worse. It's, it's worse? worse. I'm sad about it that it finally happened. Oh, I, I I don't know what it is. I was scrolling. Oh TikTok. no! You heard Kim Kardashian's voice. <laughs> it's true. What do you think of it? I think it's. I don't know. I was sort of underwhelmed. I thought it was going to be really different. 
just, yeah. it's kind of average. It's kind of just like a normal person's voice. No, but her but sister, was, if you ever I hear really sad. one of her sisters, it's very whiny. There is this woman on TikTok and she does an impression of all three of the sisters and maybe even the mom. And it's hilarious because they all have like these personas. Um, I'm going to send it to you actually, this TikTok. Well, went, you don't even I know. Went, you wouldn't know the I difference. I was scrolling and I heard it and I saw this woman talking and I was like, and I scrolled past it real fast and I was like, well, actually... It's too today. late now, I guess. Yeah, so I went today. back to double check and make sure. Yeah. And I listened to it like three times because I was like, okay, now I'm, I'm really trying. So, it, but, so I don't know. Now so, I don't have a thing and yeah. I feel sad about it. This is a bit of a fun fact, but I think, I mean, I haven't been keeping up with the Kardashians you get it. Um, but I think she's actually trying to get her JD. Uh, so All right, that's cool. I know I'm kind of interested to see, maybe I'll yeah. Google that. I took Instagram off of my phone. Um, I'm Instagram free. Okay. I've been reading this book actually called Dopamine Nation. Have you heard yeah. of it? I have heard of it. Yeah. Um, it. And I'm just kind of aware of like the ways in which I may unintentionally be sort of like giving myself these dopamine hits all throughout mm -hmm. the day and mm -hmm. social media is one of them. So I, I've been off Facebook for a long time. I've been dabbling in Instagram and I finally logged out and now I don't know how to log back in. So <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> That might be the end of my Instagram days, which is great. Right on. Yeah. yeah. We're doing pretty good on the Instagram. We got a new lady who's helping us and she's like uh, posting things and making it look exciting. And I'm kind of, she's working with, she talks to me about once uh, every other week or so and says, what about this? And what about that? And so cool. we're trying some stuff out. If you haven't checked us out on the Instagram, go ahead and do that. It's at marriagetherapyradio.com. Also, we're still, listen, here. we're over now 600 reviews. We still need a thousand. So wow. if you're listening and need something to do with your afternoon, go ahead and log on to Apple Podcasts and give <laughs> us a five-star review. Go ahead and make up a couple of names. But listen, I wanted to tell you a story yeah. that is absolutely delightful. Mm, um, I also have a delightful story for you. I was at this party the other day. It was, uh, I don't really know how to describe the party. It was not quite relevant, except that there was a little girl there visiting from Germany. Uh -huh. And she and didn't speak English. said, I've been there. She didn't speak English. So she and her family were there and they were kind of, they were actually trying to leave the party so that they could get away from the, the get the kids out of the business or whatever. But I went to the bathroom and she was sitting on the ground uh, in the hallway and she had decided to make a, like a little blockade. She was like, I, you, nobody's getting past basically. And her, my, her dad was there and I was, and you know, we were all like, this is cute. She's so adorable. And she's like, could spread her legs across the hallway to not let anyone mm -hmm. pass. And I was like, Oh no, how am I going to get out? And then I remembered the only two words I knew in German, which were asphalt, bitte and asphalt. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, Bitte Aspart, <laughs> which means please exit. Yeah. And she goes, she took her leg and she went, <laughs> and she like moved it out of the way. Like a, like it was so adorable. It was the, I couldn't even believe it. I was like, I had a home run. I learned two words yep. in Germany. And, it, and you and, crushed it. You had and a purpose. And it saved me yeah. from being stuck in this hallway forever. <laughs> and this kid was so delighted um, to, I don't know. It just was, it was pretty fun. I mean, that, I like that. Story. That actually just made my day. So when we were in Germany teaching, um, every, I was like, Zach, all of these road signs, I don't understand what they mean, but I keep seeing asphalt. And is it A-U-S? It's like Yeah, it's like Ausfart. It's A-U-S-F-A-R-T. No, it's A-U-S-F-A-H-T or something like that. Or 
thought. I don't know. It, 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 made us, in there. it made us chuckle. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think maybe one it of took us, us a while to figure out that it meant exit. exit. Yeah. But that's like every, <laughs> and I just, I would say it every time we would pass asphalt, asphalt, asphalt. Anyway. Um, well, I'm going to go ahead and like drill this down even further of like, you know, inappropriate things. So if you have kids in the car, go ahead and turn the volume down um, or put this in your ears. So I had an experience. I was in Italy um, and uh, Amsterdam. I was in Italy. I was in uh, Germany. Italy. Italy. Mm-hmm. Italy. And I, by Ireland. the way, I did yeah. go to the red light district in, because uh, I was genuinely really curious. In Amsterdam, and I thought Amsterdam was like this dirty, sort of like trashy. Oh I don't know, no! Like, it's uh-huh. stunning. Yeah. It is so beautiful. It yeah, is actually one says. of my favorite places. Maybe aside from Copenhagen, kind of similar mm-hmm. vibe. So one evening we go out. We have a lovely dinner, and then I was like, "Well, we got to go see the red light district." I'm a sex mm-hmm. therapist. This is what we mm-hmm. do. Um, and I go, and I was like, "Oh man, this is awful!" And actually, they're putting in places where they're they're basically saying tourists are kind of overrunning our city or in oh, the yes. red light district, and it's Ugh. like a sea of people. It's worse than Las Vegas. Um, and no. I wanted to go in. I wanted to see a live show. I just wanted to like. I wanted to be a part of the red light district. Uh, I'm here. I want to do something. Um, I didn't want to physically do a person, uh, but I wanted to do something. So we went and we saw a show and it was totally disappointing um, uh, in the sense that like, I just kept turning to Ryan. I was like, I could do better. I could. Do <laughs> <laughs> and the woman next to me, I mean, it just, it felt weird, you know? And I, and yeah. Ryan was telling me stories. He's like, I've, I've seen way worse, blah, blah, blah. It just was not, I don't know. It, it didn't tickle my fancy if, if you, okay. but you know, I said, I, I did it. Um, but here's, is that the adorable story you were going to tell? No, not at all. So, um, I won't explain why, but we were in an Italian hospital and it's a public hospital. So everything's paid for. You don't, we didn't have to pay any bills or anything like that. So while I'm in this Italian hospital, they don't speak English. Um, I'm there for my fourth hour. They have yet to actually investigate what's going on. Um, and while I'm there, I start my period and, uh, and I don't have anything cause I'm, I'm like stuck in this hospital. We're really expecting to be in the, yeah. right. I wasn't expecting to be there. I didn't have any supplies, anything like that, but it's a hospital. And I happen to know, like, come on people, like you, you treat wounds, you deal with blood all the time. Like you got to yeah. have supplies. So I pull out my phone and I type into the Google translate, uh, you know, like, do you have any, f- and I was like, what do they call them here? I was like, feminine napkins, pads, tampons. I was like, mm, anything that's going to catch blood. Basically, do you have a giant band aid that I can put in my underwear? Um, I know this is really gross, but I was already really sensitive to the fact that I had been traveling. I was stressed out. I had, now mm-hmm. I'm in an Italian hospital where nobody speaks English and the service was awful. And I end up taking the Google translate and going to the only female in a white coat and holding it up to her. And she just looks at me and she just nods her head side to side, but in like a contemptuous way, like it was rude. And at that Mm. moment I burst into very menstrual tears. Like I just weep in this hospital. And it was one of those moments where Laura Heck is working on like expressing her feelings, letting them all hang out. And I came back to my husband and I've been sniffling just... (laughs) I can't hold it together. Right. And I'm just a mess. This is the part where people are like, I don't know if I want Laura to be my therapist. She seems like a bit of a loose cannon, but, um, I can just tell you that it was one of those experiences where I was like, I had it out for that woman I just, I was seething. 
um, and staring her down. I was yeah. like, how dare you not help out another woman? Did you get what you needed? Yeah, I did. Eventually. Thanks yeah. for asking. Yeah. And everything's okay at the mm-hmm. hospital. I needed yeah. a man apparently. So Ryan asked, he, he asked another doctor. <laughs> he asked another doctor, uh, you know, to, to, to help me out. And uh, she came out with supplies and it was really kind, but I was ready to beat a bitch. I'll be real honest. I was real angry and sad right and like in a, in a hard, hard place at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So the moral of the story is if a woman ever has to humble herself to ask for any kind of product, you do everything you possibly can to be on her side and to help her out because she's in a very vulnerable place. That's what it was. It was vulnerability. Yeah. Okay. Good. Mm, This is a story I wish I never said or told, (laughs) but I'm not going back on it. Jason, you don't have to delete it, but I will just say like, I kind of wish I had never said anything at all. That you'll tell it again and again, and it'll get sharper and cleaner, and it'll sound better. And like until it's like really until you really got it tight. And then I don't know. There's so many stories about my cookie jar now on marriage therapy radio that people are going to be like, "That's all she does. She just talks about her cookie jar in all sorts of situations." Yeah. Oh gosh. Those guys are going to come in the other day again and be like, "I think she's literally losing her mind." I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think think she kind of is. Yeah. Totally. Sometimes it's okay. I'm alright with it. Self compassion. Zach and I want to invite you and your partner to join us for the Fall Weekend Intensive coming up on October 20th and 21st. This is the last intensive of this year, but have no fear. We have three more dates to look forward to in 2024. If you have enjoyed picking up a tip or two from the podcast, this weekend is chock full of communication skills, blueprints for managing conflict, getting on the same page together, rebuilding your intimacy and connection, and aligning on a more purposeful and meaningful future together. So if you have never done a couples workshop or even couples therapy, this is a gentle, encouraging, and fun way to just put your toe into the water. And if you are a workshop junkie and you already know just how transformational focusing on your relationship for two days can be, you need no convincing other than a gentle reminder that registration is limited and the place to register is at Marriage Therapy Radio. So here is the dates of our future workshops. We have the one coming up in this fall. It's October 20th and 21st. Registration is $450 and it includes your virtual materials for both of you to attend. The 2024 dates are February 9th and 10th, May 17th and 18th, and October 11th and 12th. That's in 2024. I look forward to meeting every single one of you at our next weekend intensive. Register at marriagetherapyradio.com. We had an interview this morning, but it got canceled. So now we're just kind of... <laughs> now we're just shooting the shit. Yeah. What's on What's on your mind? What do you got? Uh, well, I've had kind of a theme showing up in my office that I've just been t- sort of taking note of. Um, and I don't think it's a gendered theme by any means, but I have had resistances showing up uh, with partners where I've had partners just kind of going through hard stuff individually like an individual is going through hard stuff. Maybe they're, you know, experiencing a bout of depression or, you know, they've lost somebody that they really love and adore. Um, or, you know, there's stressors going on at work, but they're just one, one person in the partner is going through a really tough time. Uh And the resistance that I'm finding is that they're bottling it up and they're saying, I'm just trying to slap on a happy face for my partner. I can't share my hardship. And so it's like they have 
decided what's acceptable and what's unacceptable to show up with their partner. And so I'm, I've been really curious and like asking a lot of these people, why is it that you're holding back your pain from your partner? What is that all about? Mm. What's the holding back about? So I was going to ask you, like, do you see any of that where people are resistant to sharing their pain with their partner? Well, I actually have a lot of thoughts about this and I don't, hmm. I don't think I knew that I did until you started describing it because yeah. I have, uh, I've, I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of thoughts about this. The other thing is you were going through the list. I, here's another thing that I think that's happening and, and it, I think it's directly related to bottling up is do you notice, or do you dear listener notice that I think we're collectively kind of finally understanding the trauma that COVID was? Like, like we, like now that we're far enough away and it was mm. sort of a, like, and now it's a kind of a historical event. I think people are finally able to say this was a lot more traumatic, kind of almost specifically at the bottling up level than, mm. than they had given themselves permission to acknowledge. Like it's coming up more and more for me because I, I don't think we understand exactly what it cost us to sort of be inside with our partner for two years, mm-hmm. you know, trying to develop, maybe trying to raise kids um, and do relationship. And so I don't know if it's exactly the same of what you're talking about, but I do think there's a lot of like reorienting right mm-hmm. now to pain yeah. and, uh, and to stress that has been carried. We've been carrying a lot of stress yeah. for a long time. And yeah. so I think I I definitely have, um, you know, when I'm meeting couples for the first time, I'm hearing, and this is the interesting part. uh, We know statistically that couples wait on average about six years. That's the the research uh, before seeking support or help from the onset of sort of something that disrupted the relationship. And so now... You know, and we're kind of within this lag time where people are starting to come in and seek help. And part of their story is when I ask, you know, when did things start to get rocky? And it was COVID was when things started to get rocky. And how many years out? Somebody said four years. It hasn't been four years, have it? has it? Well, no. I mean, it started in March of 2020. Okay. So, so it's we, been we're three. not. So it's been three and a half years yeah. since it started. Okay. So, I mean, almost four, but yeah, three years. So, you know, like now I'm starting to get these waves of folks in and they're saying, this is when the pain started between the two of us. We experienced disconnection and increase in stress. We, I mean, that's kind of what I'm, I'm seeing is happening. Their roles got kind of all mished up. I think that happened for a lot of people where they were running you know, pretty clear in their roles um, of what they're responsible for. And then COVID happens. And I I think it just disoriented people and they had to take on these roles almost immediately. And so now they're, you're right. It is a reorienting to the new normal, man. I I can't even go back and listen to the episodes that we did when we were in COVID because it was the thing we talked about every single week. And I just got so sick of it. I can't, it's actually like a little PTSD talking about it right now, to be honest. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Exactly. Like we're, I think we're, we're far enough away from it that we can reflect on it right? and acknowledge that we're not in that pain, but we're in the recalled pain. We're in the, yeah. in the carried part of it, you know? Um, so it's a little, it is a little different in what you're talking about from what I'm talking about, because what I'm, we, everybody went through COVID. I mean, it was, that was the thing is like, everybody was in the same storm, but they were in a different boat. 
And so couples were in the same house. They were, they were both doing COVID at the same time. So everybody was sort of traumatized. I'm talking about when you have a relationship where one person is going through something Mm -hmm. really hard. And, you know, like my husband, we're trying to figure out what, what's going on. Like he lost his dad, I don't know, two years ago. And I still feel like there's like residual anxiety going on. We're trying to sort through that. What's, what processing does he need to do? Has he held off on grief? And so we're, we're, we're kind of working with it, but we're working as a team. I'm finding couples coming in where one person is bearing their pain on their own and incredibly mm-hmm. resistant to sharing it with their partner. They're, mm-hmm. And I can see it, you know, like they literally sit in front of me and their eyes are tearing up and they're telling me, I don't want to talk about it. I'm stonewalling my partner. I don't want my partner mm-hmm. in. I can understand why. And yet I, it's like a pressure, pressure relief valve. All I want to do is pop the balloon a little bit and let them just let it out because it's like they're holding back so hard. Um, And so I was, I've been asking and interviewing these folks, like, what is it that you are telling yourself why you don't want to share this information with your partner? Why you don't want to be vulnerable in front of your partner? Why you don't want to share your pain? And they've given me a number of answers, but I'm wondering if you can guess why they might be assuming like why do you think somebody in a relationship might hold back from sharing well yeah i've got two guesses and then i have a sort of third category um i'll start say with the third category because i think there's a real real tension more and more for me in couples therapy between i just want the tools um and i want to learn how to share my pain or how to respond to my partner sharing my pain. Mm. And that is fine. I think you, people ought to have tools. Um, but there's like just the hum- the humanity of it is is in the way. Like you need people who are responsible with tools. And I, I know I've said it a million ways over the last couple of months. Cause, but like if people don't know how to wield these tools, they're they're practically dangerous. Yeah. You know? But my, my, my two thoughts about it are uh, why people don't share their pain is number one is they're not going to get what they want. Okay. I'm going to share my pain and I'm not going to get what I want, um, which is, let's say, empathy or understanding or just a hug or True. maybe even a solution. Maybe even if I share my pain, there's nothing to be done about it. Mm. I can't do anything about my boss at work. So I'm not going to get, I'm, I'm not going to get what I want. Yep. The other one though, is that they are going to get what they want. If I share my pain and I do get what I want, now I have to actually do intimacy now I have to actually do connection. And that, that, that is hard. That is actually hard work to be, to, to say to somebody, I need you yeah. to have them go, I'm here for you. Right. And then go, uh, 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 okay. So now, now what do we do? Yeah. Like, what, what, what do we do now that we have bared ourselves to one another? Yeah. You know, I'm on board with both of those and I have a third, um, but I want to talk about the second piece, which is now I actually have to do intimacy. And I've been Bruce. really working through with a lot of couples, helping them to understand that you don't have the capacity. I, and I just don't think they're ready. Sorry. I don't mean to step on you, I, although I do, but like, I just don't think they're, I don't think we're ready. I don't think we're equipped and I don't, I don't want to bring that too strictly on COVID, but like intimacy is hard. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. No, I mean, it's it's hard and maybe the relationship isn't ready for intimacy, but I think the person who is in pain, who is at the bottom of their ladder, this is the whole poly, I'm bringing it up again, but 
you know, like if you are depressed when you're in a slump and you are immobile and you are at the darkest, deepest place that you can possibly be in to share your pain with another person almost thinks it's like a transactional, it's a relationship, right? I'm going to share some pain with you. You're going to have some empathy for me. Now we're doing intimacy. It's an exchange. It's a two-sided street. The person in the deepest, darkest place of their, their hole doesn't have the capacity to do intimacy. They are fully concerned about themselves. Like it requires, intimacy requires an exchange. It requires for you to also be open and vulnerable and for you to be attuned to this other person, which you don't have the capacity to do, which is why I think folks can go to therapy. That's a one-sided relationship. Nothing is required of you to give to your therapist. Does that make sense? It's one-sided. Yeah. It's not a mutual relationship. A little bit. I'll speak to that in a second because, but go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that is one fear is I don't have the capacity to show up for you in any sort of um, attunement. If I share something deep and dark and scary about myself and I'm in the darkest hole that I can possibly be in, there's also more required of me. Once I, I can't just share this information. I think that the assumption is that there's more required of me, right? As part of that attunement. Yeah. The well, third, and I think, and then, and maybe that circles back to the, the the first thing that I said, which is now that I've got intimacy, here I am. I've bared myself to you, and now maybe I'm not going to get what I want. Maybe I'm not going to. Maybe it's going to fall through. And I, let me just speak real quick to the, your notion of the therapy thing, because I'm like, do I buy that theory? Because I went into Sarah the other day and the first thing I said was, I'm a mess that I was. I was a total wreck. Mm. And I probably had the most vulnerably emotional ex- like hour with her. Yeah. And it was really valuable to me. It was really important to me. But you're exactly right. I was also like, time's up. I got it. Like, this is one way I run the show here. Yeah. You know, if you get too close, I can definitely be like, mm, no, not, 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 you know, what you don't get to do in your kitchen or in your you know bedroom. Yeah. But so, yeah, I do think that there's a benefit or at least a lopsidedness to therapy that should exist. And the other thing that I that I keep hearing from my partners, the couples that I'm seeing is if I share my pain, this is the third fear. If I share my pain with my partner, they're going to have a reaction or response to that pain. Um, and what it's not the first one that you said, which means I'm going to share something and I'm not going to get what I want. Maybe they're mm-hmm. not going to be empathetic. Maybe they're going to criticize me. Maybe they're going to tell me how to fix the problem, which isn't going to fix my pain. Um, but in this third one, it's I share my pain with my partner and it makes them so emotionally raw and sad that it brings them down with me. And I don't want to uh, bring my partner down. That's the third fear. That's, that is the piece that I think is lovely about having a relationship with a therapist is that you get to bear your soul and without the fear that you're going to, you know, overwhelm your therapist, your mm-hmm. therapist can handle that pain and isn't going to take yeah. it on. That's the assumption. That's the unwritten rule of going to therapy is that you get to share these things and, and know that it's not going to impact your therapist the way to impact your lover. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's part that. of what I'm talking about of that. Uh, one-sided relationship. All right. So back to the first thing I said about like the tool, like how do you do this? How do you help these people when you, when they come in and they say, Hey, I've got this thing or you can see it's there. And we investigate a little bit. I think we should sort of carefully investigate, like full of care. Yeah. What is it that you, what's, what's in the way? What's between now and what's between here and you actually bearing that 
bearing witness to that pain out loud, mm-hmm. you know? So with a couple, uh, if I have one person that's really struggling and they, they're saying, I'm scared to share this with my partner, I don't want to mm-hmm. give it to them because mm-hmm. I, I'm worried they don't know what to do with it. I'm not going to get what I want. I'm going to overwhelm them with my pain. Uh, a number of things, then I will triangulate and I will say, well, okay, let's talk about that. Because first of all, your partner, I give them permission and I have their partner literally tell them, I can handle this. I want to be there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving them permission, I'm here. This isn't going to overwhelm me. I might have feelings of empathy. I might cry because that's one, one interesting thing that happens is like, if you cry, I cry. And, um, And so I will triangulate and I will say, tell me. And their partner is present for hearing that. And I will slowly begin to shift where they're no longer talking to me, but they're talking to their partner. And so it just kind of becomes this this slow moving shift from me to their partner so that they're able to understand that if if you hand your partner your pain... Your partner just gets to hold it. They don't get to fix it. They don't get to judge it. They don't get to do anything with it other than just look at it and say, I'm going to hold this and we're going to both look at it together. And I want you to know that I might cry because you're crying, but it doesn't mean that it's overwhelmed me. It's just because I care for you. And it's, it's been a really fun, actually, I guess, process in my office of being able to Mm -hmm. show people how to sit with your partner's pain in a really healthy way. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant. And and when I, when I do that as well, I, I sometimes will say to the, the passive partner, like if let's say it's you and Ryan in my office and I'm like, Laura, go ahead and, and tell me your pain. I got this. You know, I'll say to Ryan and Laura, I'll say, by the way, I'm going to be Ryan. I'm Ryan. Mm-hmm. Ryan, watch me do this. Like right. watch how this goes. You know, like it's so that, so that it's not simply just this super, uh, I wonder if that's the difference between you and me. I'm pretty explicit about my interventions. Yeah. Like I'll say, you explain this is exactly what I'm what doing, doing right here. Yeah. You know, versus trying to subtly do it. I think I need to get better at the subtle part because mm-hmm. it, I think it's probably more relational mm-hmm. and I stay in more of like a kind of a teaching posture. But yeah, but yeah, I think to me, the the added piece would be the explicitness of I, what I'm going to do right now is, yeah. is model what is possible, mm. you know? Yeah. Because I don't want them to... F- this is a weird thing to say, but I, I don't want them to fall in love with me or say, I wish you were more like Zach. Mm-hmm. I want them to go, oh, look what's possible, mm-hmm. you know? So what I would do, you're right. I don't, I don't explicitly explain like the intervention that I'm doing, mostly because I don't think about it while I'm doing it. It just happens. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, occurs. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, but what I will do is I will talk about kind of process, like what happened there. Um, Cause I noticed that while, while you were sharing, she was looking at you and her eyes were filled with tears. But did you notice that she didn't try and offer suggestions and she didn't try and solve the problem and she was really willing and engaged with what you were saying? To me, it seems like she's really open to hearing your pain. How was it for you talking about it? What did you notice about how, how you felt while you were talking? And so we'll kind of process that a little bit, which gets the focus off of me and gets it back onto their partner. Cause I don't want them reliant on me either. Uh, but I think that there's a fair enough of safety that I create as a therapist being able to say that I don't, I'm just a therapist. I'm not in your world. I'm not your partner. I'm not your lover. It's a one-sided relationship. So let's, it's the, the, the entry to barrier is much lower for me. Yeah. 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 You didn't think this is what we we're going to talk about, huh? 
Well, I didn't know. We, yeah. we had a whole plan and then we just like, uh, we had to throw it out the window, which is pretty good. I like being light on your feet. I wanted to say one more thing though about um, when you started this whole thing, you were talking about uh, resistance yeah. and how sometimes somebody will feel pain and they'll say, oh, I'm resistant. And it reminds me of this conversation we had a little bit earlier about Stephen Pressfield's work and his notion of resistance and without going into the whole bit, like it's a, it's a book that he wrote called the war of art. And it's really about creativity. It's kind of about writing your novel. And he talks about how, when you sit down to write your novel, resistance comes up, resistance imp it put, imposes itself. Sure. Um, and it does that by telling you that your novel's no good, that nobody's ever going to read it, that you've got better things to do. Why didn't you fold the laundry? Like, um, and his, his bit is that, you know, resistance, he's decided that resistance is a clue. When resistance comes up, it's a clue that the thing you're trying to do is valuable. It's important. Uh -huh. It matters. And so when we have an emotional thing that we want to share, resistance is the thing that's telling us it doesn't matter. You're not going to get what you want, or maybe you are going to get what you want, or maybe you'll bring your partner down. And all of that is trying to tell you not to do something important. Yeah. And if you can flip that over and go, okay, wait, I actually have to do the important thing, which is right. what Stephen Pressfield ends up saying is you got to do the work. Like you have to do the work yeah. of... And I was just thinking this morning about how practice, like in, in therapy, like it's called a practice. And as a therapist, I'm getting better. And it's because I'm practicing. And literally I practice right. therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think people need to practice, you know, becoming vulnerable and, and also being able to receive their partner's vulnerability. And that means that you're not going to be good at it at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that you quit. It doesn't mean that you stop. It means you continue to practice because otherwise resistance wins. Otherwise resistance runs the day and you're, you're, the, you know, that's no good. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking, um, if you've been in, in my practice with me, I usually start my sessions off by checking in and I want to, and I ask the same question over and over, which is what's the thing that you're proud of, of how you showed up as a partner in the last week, if only for 30 seconds. And so it gets them thinking like, well, you know, I've really been like, I'm an incredibly defensive person. And there was this one point where I took some responsibility and I acknowledged, you know, what was going on and I wasn't defensive. And I was like, cool, let's celebrate that win. So that's a question that I ask. But as you were just saying that, something that I might want to just change it up a little bit is be able to ask people like, what is the resistance that you encountered this week and how did you overcome it? Mm. Or how did you even recognize the resistance? Mm -hmm. um, man, even just becoming aware of resistances. Um, have, did you ever read the book, Eat That Frog? Oh, she's gone. You guys, um, Laura's computer died or something. Um, she crashed out of here as she was telling me about Eat That Frog, which is a book that I've not read. Um, but I am interested to hear what she had to say about it. I just can't do that right now. But I do think that if you uh, are trying to work on learning how to you know, be vulnerable or more vulnerable with your partner that, uh, you ought to just practice. Um, and you can practice with small things, uh, and work your way up. And um, I think that's just a general, uh, good advice on how to practice. Um, but let's agree that we're going to make it explicit early on, um, that this is what you're trying to do. You're trying to, um, articulate some pain and that all you need is what you need, which might be a smile, a hug. Um, um, it might be just empathy. It might be just, um, eye contact. And, and then, you know, having received those directions, go ahead and see if you can offer that. And, uh, I do, again, I do think it's a practice. I think if you do start small and build up, um, it is a way to demonstrate that you're committed to doing the work, maybe in the words of Stephen Pressfield. 
And uh, yeah, we're rooting for you. We're back over the next few weeks with a handful of interviews. I'm traveling, Laura's traveling again. Um, this fall's kind of crazy, but um, I think we got a lot of cool stuff to bring you. Again, I would appreciate uh, if you took a minute now to go over to Apple Podcasts and write a five-star review for us. I really do appreciate you. And it is a way that you can support the podcast. Also supporting our sponsors is always great. Um, if you haven't checked out Dipsy or Factor Meals, I think those are the most recent ones. Please do that. That shows people that you're listening and that you're invested in what we're doing. And again, that's helpful to keep the lights on. For now, I'm going to land this plane by myself. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. Whoops, um, my computer cut off, but hopefully Zach wrapped that episode up uh, just fine. Just as a reminder, we only have three seats available as of, let's see here, it's September 26th when I'm looking at registration right now. So if you are interested in joining the fall weekend intensive, that's on October 20th and 21st. It's a Friday evening from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And then again, the next day from 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. So it's not going to take up your entire weekend, but it will be transformational. This goes through the seven principles for making marriage work. Only three seats left. So please register marriagetherapyradio.com. You'll also find um, all of our other workshops that are coming up in 2024. But this is our final one for the year. Thanks for all of your time and attention making your relationship better today than it was yesterday. Yesterday.